Hey there, welcome to the podcast. It is Sophie Rentschler, and I'm here today with the guest star, Michaela Hunt. Michaela, would you like to introduce yourself? Sophie, it is great to spend some time with you today. Yeah, my name is Michaela Hunt, and I was a journalist for almost 20 years of my life. Wow. Uh, then went on to have my own company, a brand journalism company, for about four or five years, which I still have. But now I'm a chief communications officer for the Ohio Department of Commerce. That's my role now. Awesome. And the whole way that Michaela and I actually met is we were at a Westerville Chamber of Commerce meeting. My best friend's mom brought us together. It was really awesome. And Michaela and I actually connected because you went to the University of Missouri, correct? I did. Yes. It was the school that I knew I wanted to go to from junior high because of their journalism program. And I was fortunate to attend and graduate. And it was fantastic experience. Awesome. And um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about um, your majors, maybe if you pursued any minors, clubs and organizations that you were involved in at Mizzou. When I was at the University of Missouri, I did major in journalism. I was mm -hmm. a broadcast journalism major, graduated with my bachelor's of journalism. And there were different tracks at the time, right? You could be in newspaper, you could be in advertising, you could right. be broadcast. I chose the broadcast track. Additionally, I had enough hours to almost have an English minor, which is probably not a surprise for someone who's a journalism major because we love the written word and we love the spoken word. Um, so that's kind of what that looked like from an education standpoint there. Right. I was really involved in Greek life, actually. Mm. Um, I was involved in the movement for campus to go dry, if you will. Um, fraternity houses still had parties and there was alcohol at those parties. I was a big part of what we called the dry 2K movement. Um, as a Greek leader, I was president of my house. We had about 250 members in Pi Beta Phi and oh, wow. also was involved with some of kind of the alumni activities as a student um, and, you know, worked on homecoming and uh, oh, Greek that's week and fun. some of those things. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a fantastic, like, I say that it's it's different than Ohio State. It, right. You're in a big city in Ohio. When you go to Ohio State, this really felt like a small town with a huge university that was in it, and it was a really fantastic experience. Absolutely, and I think that's what a lot of people, when I ask, you know, what what's it like at Mizzou? They normally what the answer that I commonly hear exactly verbatim what you just said: big public university, really cozy small town. So, absolutely, I agree with you. So as far as, um, you know, that high school preparation, this whole podcast is really aiming towards um, helping young high school women try and figure out their path into journalism, whether that's, you know, pursuing another type of journalism like advertising, broadcast journalism, like you were saying, editing, editorial, that type of thing. Um, what do you suggest and what did you do in high school to kind of prepare yourself? You know, I always wanted to go into broadcast to tell stories and to be, I think, probably that on-scene reporting is what really appealed to me when I right. was in junior high and, you know, early stages of high school. But I didn't really do a lot that was super specific in high school. And maybe I wish that I would have to prepare me a little more for the experience at Mizzou and to actually get admitted to the J school, right? Okay. Um, because you do have to get admitted. You have to apply and yeah. it's your GPA and broadcast majors. They also have to do an interview to be able to get into that track. No. So in high school, oh. you not know that? Okay. Just for some context viewers, that is kind of where I'm planning to go to 
university trying to attend there didn't know that Michaela thanks for giving me the inside scoop that's kind of crazy anyway I don't know if it's changed or not but yes I mean in my GPA by the time it's I want to say it's towards the end of your sophomore year is when you apply to the J school my GPA was good but you really need to be a high achiever to get into that J school yeah and I think I was right beneath the GPA cutoff and my interview meant everything right to getting in um so yes it's that's important to know so um you know in high school I wrote for the newspaper for a little while but that Mm -hmm. really wasn't my thing Uh, I enjoyed the writing but I was it's almost like I knew that there was something more with content, right? In mm-hmm. creation. And we just weren't at a time when I was, you know, I was a freshman. I graduated in 96. So as a freshman in like 92, we just didn't have a lot of content to create, so to speak. Then, yeah. Right? It was a whole, totally different world than today. But the debate team Ooh. had a radio, yeah, had a radio <laughs> speaking competition wow. section, if you will. Mm-hmm. Who knew? And so I, I competed on the state level in radio speaking and that's what the, and we had to prepare wow. a radio broadcast and then share it at these debate events. So I'm really glad I did that in high school because it was something to help me kind of prepare to think about, you know, journalism and content creation, but I don't, I don't bring it up a lot because it was such a long time ago and it seems so minor at the time, but I'm glad that I did do that in high school. That sounds crazy. That's like, to me, that's like something that is really appealing. And maybe that's Westerville North's little knock on the door to do something like that. I don't know. That sounds really cool. So as far as um, preparing yourself to go on that stage, go in that newsroom, go on that scene to report, uh, a lot of public speakers, you know, have like a little routine prior to kind of center themselves. Is there anything that you find um, really helps you focus and get in the zone prior to an interview? I think being prepared and being on time have been huge for me. And not everybody is like that in kind of the TV news world. Some people like hop into their seat a couple of minutes before airtime and they're comfortable with that. Some people don't read through scripts. I'm not comfortable with that. No. so I would say preparation for me has been key before interviews as much as as much as possible, and before those um, kind of big shows, if you will. I think it's one of those things that when you're prepared, you are ready for that organic moment to happen in an interview or on a live scene. Or when you're in the middle of a broadcast, you know what you're talking about and you don't have to just always stay on script. You can ad lib a little bit. So preparation and punctuality really are key for me. Um, And I always like to kind of get ready, so to speak. Like, you know, you have the hair and the makeup that you have to do. But I like for the final thing to do really for me is to look through that script Um, take some deep breaths. I also think that I'm pretty grounded in who I am and how I view the world, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think when you bring that mindset also to what you're going to do, like I'm going to do something like this within the next two days. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are going to be at this event. And I think if you just think about talking to people and the relatability we have to each other, that has meant a lot to me in my style of how I present from a journalist standpoint and delivery and how I show up. 
Abs- mic drop. Whoa, that was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so on the next one, I just want to know, um, again, since this is geared towards young women that are aspiring in this major, um, what advice would you give directly to them? Kind of like how you were talking about, you know, being involved at school, that sort of thing. So specifically in the high school setting, what would you recommend? I mean, I would say that you want to be involved socially and from a philanthropic standpoint as well. Like I feel like student government is good. Anything that kind of puts you in that element of performance, even though I think journalism isn't necessarily about performance, but it's about delivering and conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think like some kind of performance background is good. I was on dance team. I was the leader captain of dance team for a couple of years. So I think that actually, though it has nothing to do with journalism was good. So I think if you're in some kind of team performance related area in high school, that's good. If you have a newspaper or if you have a debate team to plug into, I think that's also excellent in high school. Okay, yeah, I mean, I I definitely see a lot of people that would fit into those categories, especially, like, I know a lot of friends that are involved in theater and, you know, may not know that they have the capability to just jump into a journalism degree like that or a major. So, but they know how to project, right? And they yeah. Know some of those elements that could be really helpful inside a journalism major. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's see. So the next one is kind of jumping into the center for, and just the overall theme of this podcast. You know, we talk about um, misogyny in the broadcast industry. We've been talking, you know, more like icebreaker questions, but now we're just getting into the heart of this podcast and um, we do know statistically that women face a lot of hardship and discrimination in this industry. And personally, do you think that there have been any instances where you have personally experienced this? So I have a very collaborative mindset with coworkers and, you know, the bosses that I've had within my life. I should say specifically the news directors. I married a guy that I was his producer and Mm. ultimately ended up being his co-anchor by the time I kind of got back on the other side of the camera. Um, Most of my career in journalism in, in the years that I was in it, and I think there have been even changes in the last six years, seven years that I've been out, I felt as though I was on a pretty even playing field okay. and ran into very few circumstances where I felt because I was a woman, I was treated differently by anyone in my newsroom, right? Um, I do believe that men and women can handle things a little differently just because of, you know, kind of chemically how we're made up when it comes to breaking news or, you know, how you handle things inside a newsroom. Um, But by and large, even playing field is what I experienced. I think the reason that I'm out of journalism is a very misogynistic story. And I will never be able to say that for sure. But based on all of the elements that I know from the reason I was not renewed from my channel four contract, it definitely had to do with a male news director who had a very specific opinion in the midst of me being tested well by the audience. So it's just very interesting that the timing and and what happened with me and the lack of explanation. And I think it 
did have to do with some things that have to do with me being female. Yeah, I honestly, like, I'm so sorry that that's that had to cut your career short. I know you had you had other plans to move on to, again, better things. You have your own business, Michaela Media. You have this great occupation now. So um, and none of that would have happened, though, without exactly. this moment of misogyny. Most of the men who were superiors in my life when it came to news were supportive, were encouraging. Um, John McCall, one of my original news directors, is Mm -hmm. the one who allowed me to move from that producer seat into that reporter seat. He gave me the opportunity to do that when he knew he might lose a good producer. Oh, wow. Um, So. And then the general manager of that station, Mike Johnston, um, fantastic individual who really saw the opportunity that I could provide. I I worked in my hometown at this station and so really saw the opportunity in market 82 for me to be able to make an impact. And then when I got married to my husband, saw the opportunity to bring us together to do more for the community. Stan Sanders here in Columbus, you know, hired my husband and also hired me, gave me a chance and allowed me to do quite a bit um, and, and grow here in Columbus as a reporter before I moved into that anchor seat. Um, it's this, it's just a, a particular, that last news director. And again, you know, the story, the story is this, you know, um, I had tested well with the audience. I'd worked in I, I had children on air with this audience, right? Yeah. Like for six or seven years. And um, this news director and the general manager at the station were both new to Columbus. And my contract is one of the first ones that was up. And I thought we were renegotiating it. And the day that I thought we were renegotiating it, I walked upstairs to kind of sign the paperwork, if you will, like finish things up. Yeah. There wasn't a lot to, to discuss we took a left into HR instead and the news director and I were kind of, I'm I'm kind of confused and we sit, we sit down and he goes, um, he says to me, um, we're not renewing your contract today is your last day. And this is as we're sitting down in the seat in HR with my, who I would consider a friend and a colleague across the way who had the shocked look on his face. And I asked why, like that was my reaction, knowing that I had established relationships in the community with the audience that I, and I didn't know until afterwards how well I had tested with an audience, but I found out afterwards from my previous news director at the station and some other folks, um, including the former general manager. When I asked him why the news director, Dave Silliberti, um, he repeated himself where we're not, we're not renewing your contract. Today is your last day. And he stood up and he said, TJ will take care of the rest. And he walked out the door. You know, you were saying that you literally, you grew up on this channel. Like you, your whole like adult life, you literally grew up on this channel, fostered this, this relationship, you know, that's, that's insane. And then it, it just breaks in the matter of seconds because of, you know, someone that in this circumstance, I feel like did not respect you did not want to sit down, have a conversation with you. And I feel like in that case, that that could be a good segue into this question where, you know, in newsrooms, the idea is that human relation groups and organizations, human resources, those groups are supposed to work and organize sort of uh, criterias to make sure that every individual is being represented, right? 
we need to make sure that men, women, pregnant women, especially since you literally, again, had children at the time of being on this channel. How do you advise that news organizations try and uh, foster inclusivity and diversity in human resources organizations? That's a big question because people have to be more than just a number or a tick yeah. of the box. And I think for a while, newsrooms have done a great job checking the box of having people represented, right? I'm not right. saying that they have always been accepting of the different ways that different ethnicities come to the table. Um, you know, we have recently seen, and I've loved it, um, the embracing of, you know, showing up as a woman, um, but in a more natural hairstyle, right? Like, right. I'll, I'll, that's an example. Um, so there have been some improvements there, but I think for so much of the time that I was in a newsroom, it was more of like a check a box, right? Do you have the female? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I think HR needs to be, in my experience, more involved in the conversations about what yeah, really looks like and not just a check of a box. Yeah, I, I definitely think like it's a hard thing to do, but like, it, it is very much possible. And like, I think that in terms of like, again, cultivating that sort of diverse environment, um, I had a conversation with, and you'll see this in the episode uh, for the audience. Um, I had a conversation with Kristen Gilger, the co-author of There's No Crying in Newsrooms. And she actually um, told me that, you know, in order to have a diverse environment, you have to actually, you know, once you hire these people and they, quote unquote, check the box, you have to respect them. You have to make make sure that they feel validated in that environment. And I feel like that's exactly what you're getting onto is, you know, these individuals that, you know, maybe a different ethnicity, gender, sexuality, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. They're not just a statistic for a business to amplify their diverse nature. It's not it. I'd be really, I'd be really curious to see what newsrooms are doing. Like, I'm so proud at the Department of Commerce, we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee awesome. um, that has really done some fantastic work in the last two years. I've been able to be a part of it, but I've been able to be a little bit about like into the communication process of like right. what we're doing, what program we're putting on. I mean, Sophie, I. But again, it was a different time, but I never right. experienced anything like that in a newsroom. I'd be really curious if newsrooms have DEI programs right now, if they mm -hmm. have started to do what corporations and organizations have started to do. And if they haven't, it's time. What is a little frustrating to me is you see like these people, again, where you were talking about like testing into like the broadcast um, area and you like hit um, different statistics and other people, better statistics. And I feel like in other areas of work, your work shows, right? But like in some, sometimes in that journalism field, I feel like sometimes it's very, it's iffy because it depends all on the people that are above you. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's based on the way we look and especially in broadcast. And, you know, that also is unfortunate, um, but it's kind of part of me feels like it's the reality of the you know, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok culture we live in though too, right? Like there's this want for like perfection, right? And I've seen that more and more in TV news when yeah. I've looked at it in some of these markets. And it, it's, you know, 
and managers are able have been able to say oh you know it's really important to this job because historically what they were looking for for these roles um i will tell you the woman that was hired to replace me looked completely different than i did at the time was not a mother um mm. definitely again i will i will never know if that is the reason that i was released right but i feel like they were looking for something different in terms of looks and they would never be able to tell me that because that's a lawsuit waiting to happen right yeah so then they then you protect yourself from an hr standpoint you don't say anything at all you just say we're not renewing your contract today's your last day and you don't give a person a reason as to why they're being let go but that's I, I think crazy. That, that that is part of that industry and I have seen some progress, a little bit of progress here and there, uh, but I think we probably need to see some more to be more representative across the board of who we are as a society and really reflecting on air who we are as a society. Okay, so you, you've you partially answered this one, but I feel like there's more. There There's some more in here. So how do you personally work to combat... Um, injustice and misogyny in your day-to-day -day life or in your job so i have this mug that i use you know a few days a week that says empowered women empower women and i feel as though given the leadership role that i'm in and some of the things that i've done professionally and even the experience that I went through that was misogynistic, I would say, when I was uh, not renewed in my contract at Channel 4, I tried to show up as a supporter, especially of women, women of all races. Um, you know, I, I run a pretty tight ship when it comes to what I expect from like a content and storytelling standpoint. Uh, but I want people to grow and to like move into that next level in their career or their personal experience with their talents and capabilities. So if I'm doing that, I'm doing it right. I also um, very was very involved for like four years until just, I think I just rolled off the board this fall with the mm -hmm. National Association of Women Business Owners. And I was the public wow. policy advisor when I rolled off. And we were really working on getting women recognized as a supplier in the state of Ohio and working wow. with other states because prior to me being on that board, there was not a women in business certification program that was recognized by the state of Ohio. Okay. They have an MBE program for minority businesses, but they didn't have one for women. And when you look at the statistics, and I should have pulled them for this interview because I used to know them by heart, but mm -hmm. when you look at the statistics, women are you know, providing a lot to the Ohio economy. Yeah. And we are staffing our businesses. We're, we're hiring. Um, but when it comes to the entire revenue in the state of Ohio, we represent such a small part of it and such a small part of the business that the state does with vendors. So we I really champion that. Um, so we now do have a certification. There is not 
um, a set aside for that is what we call it um, in the state. There's not a set aside for women owned businesses right now. I think there's a hope someday that there will be a goal for state agencies to hire, right. you know, hire a certain amount of women owned businesses or just spend a certain amount with women owned businesses. But um, I'm really proud of the work Nabo did with that while I was there and continue continues to do. That's awesome. I'm well, like, that's great to hear that you were involved in those and, you know, especially with that leadership role that says a lot about who you are as an individual. And again, you're very grounded in your morals. So it says a lot about your morals. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, this is going into a little bit, again, perfectly transcending into a little bit of a moral conversation. What would you tell your 25 year old self? <laughs> to cool down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I, you know, a lot of people could take that piece of advice. That's for sure. I, you know, when you're in news, everything moves so fast and right. you're in the moment and it's breaking or you're working on this and you get so involved in whatever you're doing. And I would like to say like, girl, it is not that stressful. Mm-hmm. You are doing the best you can and don't be so worried about it and enjoy life some more. I think part of being in news has made me a little bit of a workaholic mm. just because of the hours okay. and that's hard to get away from um even in my 40s so I would, oh, wow. I would tell myself to kind of chill out a little bit it's a fast-paced world like that is that is definitely like key for a lot of people because not many people take time to just sit and slow down it's it's not right. that intense so- here I am, you know, in my early 40s, and so I have only in the last several years really, like, learned to meditate. Um, mm. I take time at night to read on a consistent basis something that is fiction and nothing that is, like, career or personal development related. Um, my faith is really important to me, and that has been a change in the last, I don't know, I mean, it's been, like, 15 years but I do think as I've matured, I wish I could go back and tell my 25 year old self to like chill out, focus on some other things in life. And that will ground you even more in what you're doing. Um, I wish I could go back and tell 25 year old Michaela that. All right. Well, something to try audience, try meditating. That's for sure. Michaela yeah. and I recommend it. <laughs> All right. So, um, Next one. So our goal as progressive individuals in society is to have men and women work harmoniously. We touched on this a little bit. How do you suggest approaching this issue? I do think that diversity, equity, and inclusion committees inside your workplace, whether you're talking about men and women or you're talking about something greater than that, really help move conversation and ideas. So I would say for more harmonious kind of work conditions, whether it's men, women, or it's, it's anything when you're looking at ethnicity or age, I think, con- I think having committees, don't have a committee just to have a committee though. Yeah. Have a committee that actually wants to talk about what you can do to teach each other um, within the organization. And I think you have to commit to having that conversation about what education looks like and also what execution of that education looks like, right? You can't just say, we're going to do it. This is our plan. You actually have to set aside some time to teach each other and to talk. 
Um, so that would be my kind of suggestion for organizations who really want to take on kind of that balance, if you will, um, within um, for a more harmonious workplace. I think you got to have the conversation and then I think you have to educate and really execute on that. Honestly, I'm kind of sick and tired of like seeing these industries like make those committees that don't do anything like they are just completely like dormant. They don't do anything. That to me, I think is like the the biggest turnoff, if you want to say that for like any big institution. We're having a conversation. I think it's next week. Our DEI committee is putting out a conversation about poverty. And, mm. you know, the divider that poverty is amongst the people you might be working with or the people you, right. know, you see on every day. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at the conversation we could have that goes beyond men and women. But I think it needs to start. I, I think it has to start there with plans that actually, yeah. yes, as you said, like people taking actions on plans. Yeah, it, like perfectly said, like especially with expanding on the conversations like between the sexes those conversations can take us a multitude of places in the world of social justice. And I think that is perfectly said. Beautiful. Thank you, Michaela. Well, that actually, that wraps up our interview. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. This is the end of the Sophie and Michaela Hunt podcast episode.